If you'll turn in your Bibles, we want to look at the book of Habakkuk. This will be the next in line of the Minor Prophet series. And one thing that has occurred to me in the Minor Prophet series is just how upset God was with the way the nation was acting. He was so upset. Again and again, prophet after prophet, he was just hammering them. But you remember this. Don't ever forget this. According to one of the prophets we've looked at, that the Lord preaching to them was an example of where the Lord said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Him sending the prophets instead of just sending fire and brimstone or destruction. Don't ever forget that the preaching of the gospel, and in these days, the, the preaching of the prophets is the mercy of God. He sends prophets to preach to them in mercy, to call them to repentance. And he's so long-suffering. So that's one thing that has occurred to me as we've looked at this. As we consider the book of Habakkuk tonight, I don't know if this will be one message or several, but this is what's on my mind. And the title of the message is, The Wonder, Wonder of God. And no, you didn't hear, you're not hearing double. I intentionally say the wonder, wonder of God. And you'll see this in the verse here in just a minute. Let's read in verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And here's the prophet talking. Habakkuk. It's a dialogue. This whole book is a dialogue between the prophet and God. And Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity? And cause me to behold grievance, for spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And that is the first address by Habakkuk to God. And we're fixing to see God's response in verse 5. I got ahead of myself, ran a little too fast. So God responds to Habakkuk and says in verse 5, Behold ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. And that is where we derive the title, The Wonder, Wonder of God. Because if you look in verse 5, he says, Behold ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously. If you look up the Hebrew, it is the same word for wonder as it is for marvelously. So it literally reads in the Hebrew, wonder, wonder. So this is a wonder of wonders that God is laying out in response to Habakkuk's perplexity. He, he was perplexed. Lord, why are you not doing anything? Now, if there have been minor prophets that we couldn't identify with, I don't, I don't see how there, there's... We have to be able to identify with Habakkuk. He is grieved over what he sees around him. He's grieved over the way that the nation of Judah was going. He wrote and spoke in the days when uh, uh, Jeremiah was speaking. And you remember Jeremiah was the prophet in the, that was, went for 60 or 70 years or more. And he prophesied in the days, at least in the days of Josiah, who was a good king. And he saw the death of Josiah, the good king. And then he also prophesied that in order to survive what's coming, this nation needs to surrender. So he was, Jeremiah didn't have a popular message. He said, we, you need to lay down your arms when the Chaldeans come and just surrender. That's the only way you're going to survive. And of course, they didn't listen. But Habakkuk was prophesying in that same time frame 
before the Chaldean invasion. And that invasion is what completely wiped out Jerusalem. And this is the days of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, when those guys were led into captivity. You know, the cream of the crop was taken captive as prisoners in Babylon. And that was partly their deliverance. (laughs) You know, God saw them through Babylon. So understand what's going on here. Habakkuk is prophesying, like Jeremiah did, that things are terrible. What's going to happen to this nation? Lord, why don't you do something? He's perplexed at the things that are going on around him. You could almost read that on a modern day commentary. Violence, strife, division, The Matthew Henry commentary jumped out to me when I looked at it. And this is what Matthew Henry says about what Habakkuk is concerned about. He's talking about the violence. Bad people are doing bad things and you you can't even hardly see anything good going on. And Matthew Henry, this was, I guess, 1700s, I think is when Matthew Henry wrote. He says, this is a lamentation to all the sons of peace. There are those that raise up strife and contention. That's verse 3 that foment divisions, widen breaches, incense men against one another, and sow discord among brethren by doing the work of him that is the accuser of the brethren. Can we identify with that today that was written two or three hundred years ago? Strifes and contentions that have been laid asleep and begun to be forgotten, they awake and raise up again and blow up the sparks that were hidden under the embers. And if blessed are the peacemakers... Cursed are such peace breakers that make parties, or that means divisions, and so make mischief that spreads further and lasts longer than they can imagine. It is sad to see bad men warming their hands at those flames which are devouring all that is good in a nation and stirring up the fire too. And I might add to Matthew Henry's commentary, it is bad to see good men and women warming their hands at such flames, which that's what we see today. Habakkuk was concerned about the strife and the division and the bad news and all the stuff that was going on, whether it was in the throne room of Jerusalem there or all the way down to the little hamlets and the neighborhoods and the villages. He was concerned. He's perplexed. And he's crying out to God, Lord, why aren't you doing anything? Don't we do that? Or you maybe you've got a situation that perplexes you or vexes you personally. We all have that type of thing happen to us. Multiple times through life. And if you haven't yet, if you're young and you haven't, you just haven't lived long enough. Because you will. And we think, especially whenever we, we think we're in the right, or, or we, it's clear that you know, maybe we didn't bring this on and it's something else that's affecting me. We just say, Lord, why don't you do something? You see? That's exactly what Habakkuk is doing. Lord, why don't you do something? Look how bad things are. And the Lord, his response to the perplexed prophet is to bring something to his attention that blows his mind and that's where God says behold ye among the heathen the even the heathen nations the non-Jewish nations the nations other than Judah will look upon this and go my goodness that's amazing that's incredible a wonder a wonder (laughs) a wonder of wonders he says I'm going to do something you think you think you're perplexed by the stuff that's going on around you Habakkuk I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind when I do it. And I'm going to tell you about it right now. So what is it? He says in verse 6, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. Did you hear that? God says, I raise up this foreign nation. 
Okay. Now, if you ask me to explain how, exactly how God can raise up a whip like this Chaldean nation to whip his own nation and chastise them, and God has nothing to do with the excess or the, the sinful things that that nation does, I can't fully explain that, but I can certainly give you a hint about how great God's character is. And by the way, that's the wonder of wonders. That he can do that and he doesn't get his hands dirty. See, he doesn't, God cannot commit sin. God doesn't deal with sin. He doesn't have to. He's too providential to do that. And so he says, Jeremiah, you think that you are perplexed by what you see going on in this nation and how strife is in division is everywhere? He said, I'm going to tell you about something that will take your mind off of that and you'll study on this for the rest of your life. It will completely blow your mind, as we say. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. And that is the nation that comes and takes them captive. Okay? And watch this. That's not the only thing. This is the part that gets you right here. He says, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards. Fastest thing that runs, I think, is a leopard. Isn't that right? Or is it a cheetah? Anyway, and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. This is terrifying. Y'all laughing at me because I missed the leopard cheetah thing. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. Can you picture them just picking up a handful of sand? That's how they would take people captive. They're going to wipe out the nation of Judah. And God has raised them up. He has suffered that kingdom to rise to world dominance for the singular purpose of coming and destroying his nation as a whip of chastisement for them. Kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? Well, it gets better. Watch verse 10. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. And now here comes, if that first part where God said, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans was a wonder, here comes the wonder of wonders. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this, his power, unto his little g-god. Did you catch that? Now that's the wonder of wonders. The Lord has already said in advance, when this Chaldean king goes beyond what I have suffered him to be raised up for, to wipe out my nation, when he uses his, his rod of correction to excess, he says he'll be lifted up in himself and he'll attribute his power to his God. Now look, I'm not saying that's a direct reference to Nebuchadnezzar, but that's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember? Nebuchadnezzar said, look at this great kingdom that I've built. Nebuchadnezzar, if it, I believe it was Nebuchadnezzar. Let me just say that. But if it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, it, Nebuchadnezzar at least was benefiting from God allowing that nation to be raised to power. But I believe it was Nebuchadnezzar. Time goes by and Nebuchadnezzar says, look at this great kingdom that I have formed. You see, he took it to excess. He began to think that he was actually the cause of all of his power. Now listen to me carefully. This does not mean that every world-dominating power that comes to power is raised up because God said, I'm going to use you as a whip. 
That doesn't mean that happens every time. For example, nobody in their right mind would say, well, God was pleased or suffered somehow Hitler to rise to power. That man was wicked to the core and he murdered people after people. Now you can, but you can see in the Old Testament especially that there were kings even more wicked than Hitler, even more destructive than Hitler in years gone by. Vicious, evil. I've, I've given you some of those examples on some Wednesday nights about how they would fillet people and hang their skins on the wall hang their, their bedrooms and their foyers and their hallways with the skins of people that they had filleted, had skinned alive. Wicked, wicked Hitler type, evil people. Don't think that every time a world power comes to domination, that, oh, well, you know, that's God suffering that world power to come to domination so they can do something. It doesn't mean that every time. But in this instance right here, God tells you that it did. He said, I let them come to power. That's a wonder. To whip my nation, that's a further wonder. And then when he takes it too far, when he exceeds the scope of what I suffered him to be raised up to do, then I'm going to punish him. <laughs> Let me just say this about the sovereignty of God. That is mind-blowing. That God could do that and he doesn't have his hands dirtied by sin. That's why he's God and you and me, we're not. Okay? He in no way makes himself culpable with sin, and he in no way endorses the excess for which that, to which that king went. But he raised him up, suffered him to come to power, to whip and chastise his own nation. Now let me just say this as a side note. First of all, you know, the United States of America is not a nation like Judah in the Old Testament. You know, it is not the nation of God in the sense of the Mosaic law being delivered to it like, like Judah was. You see what I'm saying? Now, was it founded on Christian principles? Of course, absolutely. Praise God that it was. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Christian principles and the blessing of God and the safe harbor that the United States of America has been for Christians for several hundred years. Okay? But don't think for one second that when a nation goes beyond the scope and goes into excess beyond what God has suffered or allowed or raised them up for. Don't think for one second that it would be out of character for God to raise up another nation to chasten or chastise that nation. That sounds a little bit scary if you're in that nation, <laughs> but Habakkuk was in the nation of Judah where God did that. And it was a wonder. Now, God says, I'm going to, let the Chaldeans be raised to power. They're going to whip my people and wipe them out and take them into captivity. And then when that king exceeds the scope of being my whip to whip my children, I'm going to punish him. And you can see an example of that in what he did in Nebuchadnezzar. You remember? He went out to pastures literally for seven years. So this troubles Habakkuk more than what he had seen going on in the nation. He's perplexed by all the terrible stuff that's going on, as we often are. And then he hears from God about this wonder, wonder, wonder of wonders, and he begins to think, oh my goodness. He gets his mind off of all that stuff. And then he says, wait a minute, wait a minute now. I don't, I don't know if I agree with you on this, Lord. And he, he continues to dialogue with the Lord. Look at verse 12. After the Lord says, then 
that Chaldean's king, mind, his mind will change and he shall pass over and offend. And that king shall impute his power unto his God and not to the God of heaven. Now, Jer- now I keep saying Jeremiah. Now Habakkuk says in verse 12, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. He's acknowledging what God is doing. And O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Famous verses of scriptures right there. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? He's saying, he's saying Lord, how can this be? A, a nation that is in practice more wicked than us <laughs> is going to come and devour us? Oh Lord, I just don't know if I can stomach this. Well, it's very interesting that in the dialogue here, the Lord does not give him an answer because he doesn't have to. You see, you understand the Lord doesn't have to give you and me an answer. He doesn't say, well, this is why this is happening and I want you to trust in me. No, the Lord can just lay the principle down and say, this is what I'm going to do. And if you believe in me and you trust in my character, that's enough. Did you know he did the same thing to Job? I challenge you to read the book of Job and find where God answered the exact questions that Job was asking. He didn't have to. Because when he showed up and he just says, and he says a lot to him now, he says a lot to Job, but he doesn't answer the question that Job, and all the other questions that the false accusers were making against Job, God doesn't answer in those questions. His presence was enough just to show up and say, are you kidding me? You're questioning me? That's a good lesson for us, isn't it? When you face the trials of life, when things don't go your way, whenever you're having affliction and trouble, just just focus on the presence of God. Focus on the character and the person of God. I tell you, that has gotten me through many dark nights. Just think about Jesus. Just think about the character of your God. You know, and if we keep questioning him and keep questioning him, who knows, he might show up in a whirlwind like he did to Job and just say, who are you? To question me. That's, that's what God did say. You know, God is, is famous about answering a question with a question. Well, you want to know where Jesus, who is God, you know, began to do that. He did that with Job. Who are you? And of course, Job said, I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke whereof I know not. I abhor myself and repent and sackcloth and ashes. <laughs> so that's what God does with, with Habakkuk. He says, he didn't even answer him. He says, I've told you, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm righteous and my character's holy, and I won't violate that because he changes not. He said, this is what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk continues to dialogue with God. Chapter 2. This is well-known verses of Scripture. If you're familiar with some of the more well-known verses in the Bible, he says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. You catch that? You know, the very fact that God didn't answer his question, he says, I'm, I'm reproved. <laughs> you know, I, I get it. And look, verse 2, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. 
For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak. You know, it'll be evident at the end when this happens of what I'm talking about. It's what God is saying. And it shall not lie, though it tarry. Wait for it, because it will surely come. You hear people say today, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. That's where it comes from, the Word of God. At least that's what I think. He says, wait for it, because it will surely come. It shall not tarry. Now watch verse 4. Behold his soul which is lifted up. He's talking to Habakkuk. And to us today. His soul which is lifted up in pride is not upright in him. But the just shall live by faith. Very familiar verse right there, right? That verse is quoted at least two times in the New Testament. In the book of Galatians when the Apostle Paul is preaching about the, how Jesus the mediator is better than the law of Moses. He speaks of the just living by faith because the faith that he speaks of there is the trust that God that we have in God because God has put faith in our hearts to use the, the faith that He's given us. That's better than the law. You can see the law. You can see the commandments. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do the other. But when you realize you can't keep the commandments, it goes beyond the law and you need something that's even more satisfying. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. The just shall live by their faith, their belief, their trust in the Lord doing what He says He's going to do. Wonder of wonders. Okay? Also in the book of Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 38th verse, in what I call the foyer of faith, before you get into the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, that's when He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and He says, but the just shall live by faith. You see? He's telling Habakkuk, Habakkuk, just trust in me. I'm going to make this all right one day. You don't have to understand every little detail about the character of God because if you could, if you could understand every little detail about the character of God, you wouldn't be on this earth. Our human minds and our abilities just can't comprehend the sovereignty of God and, and the great magnitude of His character and of His rightness. So just trust in me, Habakkuk. That's what he's saying. Get your eyes off of all this mess that's going on and all of this stuff that's afflicting you and affecting you. And when you're in personal heartache and when you're in personal distress, just start focusing on my wonder of wonders. And the greatest wonder of wonders is the Lord Jesus Christ. That God would take on flesh and come to the earth and sacrifice Himself for my sins and your sins and would ascend back to heaven and is waiting to come and get us. I've told you many times when I've been in court or I've been in difficult situations, one of the most comforting thoughts is when I can't figure it out and when I say there's just no answer to this or this person is just too far gone, there's just no way to help this person or this situation is just beyond me, I come back and I think, you know, the Lord's going to make it all right one day when He returns. Don't you wish it was right now? <laughs> I don't know where I'll be or where you'll be. And I don't know for sure if the Lord will return in my lifetime. I'm expecting it at any time. I live, I try to live as though I'm expecting it at any time. And that will make you live in a different way. And that will make you look at things in a different way. Can I always hang on to that? Do I always act that way? No, because I lose sight of it. I'm a sinner. But I want to live by faith. Trusting that when he comes back, whether it's the Chaldeans in these days or the, the uh, disobedient uh, Jews in, the, in those days, whoever, whatever the situation may be, the Lord's going to make it all right when He comes. And the lion will lie down with the lamb and the enemies will be friends again. All of these things will be made right. And you won't be worried about who didn't get what they deserved or who got what they deserved. You won't be worried about that because the Lord will set it all right. The wicked will go to their place. The righteous will go to work what God has prepared for them. 
that they, from a natural standpoint, they don't belong there. He's telling Habakkuk, just trust in me. Just trust that I'm going to make it all right. The prophet goes from being perplexed to being completely blown away in his mind. The definition of wonder, where he says, wonder marvelously, it means to be amazed, to marvel, to be astonished, to be in amazement, or it can mean to be in horror, to be afraid. <laughs> I was thinking about this, and a couple things came to mind. A week or two ago, I had one of those dreams that you feel like you're about, if you don't wake up, you're going to die in your dream. Somebody was shooting at me in the dream, <laughs> and they were shooting at me, and I was turned to the side and they were barely missing me and it was getting closer and then as I woke up I just oh, I mean it was so real I was horrified I've never been shot at before now it's happened in my dream I hope it never happens in real life but praise God it was a dream you know that that was a a wonder that somebody was shooting at me in my dream and then I wake up and I'm, I'm perplexed and I'm like oh thank God it's a dream that's a horrible experience and then I think of the other side of that and listen I don't know what your experience was growing up but in the days of pre-woke Disney, okay, pre-woke Disney, you know, where Disney didn't have this agenda, you know, trying to pervert and convert minds. But when I was, I don't know how old I was, mom, seven, six, five, whatever the age was, but when mom and dad took us to Disney World for the first time, I mean, wonder of wonders. Some of the things I'd been watching in the cartoons and on TV were alive down there. I mean, I, you, can, you can get the full account from mom because she saw my face. It was a wonder. I was like a little boy. I was a little boy. And I was a little boy in wonder. <laughs> I feel like a little boy now thinking about it. The places we stayed, the things we saw, it was probably a mistake for them to take us at such an early age because it poisoned our mind in the sense of there's nothing that can compare to this. And we often went back down there when we were little boys. And that was a wonder to me. Oh, I know it's a bunch of plastic and, and, you know, whatever, but it was a wonder to a little mind. And can you think about the things that have caused you to wonder in life and, and translate that over to the spiritual things, the spiritual things of God? That is the way we should view God. Wonders of wonders. There's no Disney World. There's no Six Flags. There's no natural beautiful phenomenon like we saw out in Wyoming a few weeks ago. There's nothing that can compare to the wonder of wonders of beholding the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you say, how do we do that, Brother Tim? I want to see him so bad. I do too. But the Lord said, the just shall live by faith. You see that? As you explore the faith that God has given you, as you look to the Word of God, as you focus on the marvel of marvels and the wonder of wonders, it just makes you like a little boy, like Brother Tim in Disney World, just going, wow, I'm amazed. And when I see the Lord Jesus Christ by the eye of faith, and I get my eyes off of the perplexities that are around me, and off of the troubles and the trials, it helps me process those things. And I think about what the Lord has done for me. And he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the trouble and the trial gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It's like I turn back into that little boy. I just get little and little and I'm just... I heard a preacher say one time, he was counseling another preacher who was having a tough time, a very difficult time. And the preacher got down to pray with the preacher and the one that was in a, a bad situation, couldn't hardly talk, couldn't hardly speak, didn't know what to say. And so the other preacher gets down to pray with him, and this is what the preacher said. 
He said, Lord, one of your little boys are in trouble. One of your little boys are in trouble. We like to think of ourselves as, I do at least, I know this, I've got it all figured out, I've got everything, all the plans made. But when it comes down to it, and I'm standing before the Lord, I'm just his little boy. You hear me? You're just his little boy. You're just his little girl. And that's what Habakkuk is experiencing right now. He's all, he, he sees what he knows and he's upset about all this stuff. And then the Lord says, just trust in me like the wonder of a little child trusting in their parent. That's a good place to be. That's a good way to feel. I tell you, I, I know everybody doesn't have the same kind of childhood. I know they don't. I only have my childhood to go back to. But I can remember as a little boy just how safe I felt in the house of my parents. I was, believe it or not, I, was a, I read a few too many ghost stories when I was, or had too many told to me when I was five or six years old. Matter of fact, on the playground, sometimes the kids would gather around and, I, and ask me to tell them ghost stories. And I scared myself more than I scared them. I'm not kidding. And some nights I'd go to bed and I'd think the demons were going to grab my legs as I ran down the hall. <laughs> you know, which they weren't, but I, I was just scared of the dark. Telling off on myself, the little boy here tonight. But that's all I am. <laughs> just a little boy before the Lord. And so I'd go get in the bed and I'd be terrified. And sometimes I would come back up the hallway while mom and dad were still sitting up talking or reading the paper. And I'd just crawl up in their lap. And all of that fear just went away. And I was back in a state of wonder again. <laughs> Why do I feel so safe here? Why do I feel so loved here? I tell you, that's the mystery of the grace of God, is it not? That's the mystery of God's grace. When you can, in the middle of a terrible situation like Habakkuk was in, that you can actually feel the presence of God and He cradles you just like a little lamb or a little boy or a little girl. <laughs> You get that picture of Jesus in the book of Isaiah. It says that he puts the lambs on his shoulders and he just walks with them. Because he, he, he cradles them. He is such a good God that in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation where, uh, where Habakkuk goes from being perplexed at the situation in the nation to being marveling at the Lord's going to use a worse nation to wipe ours out. He just says... I'm just going to have to crawl up on your lap, Lord. I'm just going to have to trust in you. Isn't that a good place to be? I wish this was a Sunday morning when I was preaching this. I probably need to re-preach it Sunday morning. <laughs> but you understand, that was Habakkuk's experience. By the way, I would be remiss if I did not mention this. Where, it's, where he says, Behold ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. This is, this is being told to the nation of Judah, and they did not believe it. And the foretelling was the nation's going to be wiped out. And it was wiped out, but they didn't believe it. This is quoted by the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, the 13th chapter, in referring to the Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. You ever heard the old phrase, history repeats itself? Well, it does. And guess what? The foretelling of that was in regard to Jerusalem in, in A.D. 70 was completely wiped out. You see, history repeats itself. 
It was, it was wiped out in the days of Nebuchadnezzar when the Chaldeans came and destroyed it. It was built back. Several hundred years goes by. Jesus comes. They reject Him as the Messiah. He goes on and becomes the... He is and maintains His status as the Messiah anyway. And then the Apostle Paul says, you're doing the same thing over again. And you know what happened? General Titus surrounded Jerusalem in AD 70 and history repeated itself. Completely wiped out. At least a million Jews were killed in that city when the siege took place. Starvation, torture, just complete execution. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention that to you. History repeats itself. But in conclusion, I want you to look at the last chapter. Look at verse 16. The prophet goes on and he basically, he basically resolves himself to trusting in God. Lord, I don't understand it, but like a little boy... Like I crawled up in my parents' arms and all the fears went away when I was a child. He said, Lord, I'm just going to crawl up in your arms and I'm just going to rest in you. Now that is a lesson for you and me today. No matter what we face, no matter what difficulty we've got going on, we can just crawl up in the arms of the Lord. Maybe the Lord is cradling you right now in your situation and you're too squirming around to even feel it. I know I've been that way many times. <laughs> and then I'll come back when it, when it gets really bad for me, and you, if you were to slip in there and listen to me, which is very rare that it gets really bad for me, but if you were to slip in there to listen to my prayer in the morning, it would start like this in those times. I'd say, Lord, your little boy needs your help. <laughs> Talking about me, okay? That's, that's a great prayer to pray. Anytime, but especially when you're in distress. So Habakkuk says, I'm just going to crawl up in your lap, Lord, and I'm going to trust in you. And one of the most beautiful prayers closes the book of Habakkuk in verse 16. After, if you, want to, if you want to read from verse 1 on down to 15, it's a terrible picture that's painted about all the destruction that's coming. How the Lord is going to walk through the river. He's going to walk through the mountains that are going to tremble. The moon and the sun are going to tremble. I mean, the Lord is going to roar and nothing can stop Him. And it's very terrifying. And then Habakkuk comes down to verse 16. And he says, When I heard... My belly trembled. He got sick at his stomach. It was so scary. My lips quivered at the voice. Can you picture that? You ever had your lips quivered when you couldn't talk? Maybe you were crying. <laughs> and here he's quivering. His lips are quivering at the power and the presence of God and what's coming. Rottenness entered into my bones. He felt it all the way into his bones. And I trembled in myself. Nobody's ever had this type of fear like Habakkuk had in the sense of what was related to him and how he felt. He says that I might rest in the day of trouble. He says, I, I want to figure out a way to deal with this. What do I do when he cometh up unto the people? He will invade them with his troops. Now this is, what, this is how Habakkuk resolves himself to deal with it. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olives shall fail and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Doesn't sound like he's got a whole lot naturally to rejoice in, does he? You know why? Because that's not what we're supposed to be rejoicing in. We're supposed to be rejoicing in the person and the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And none of us are facing what Habakkuk was facing in the destruction of his nation. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hind's feet 
and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. What a closeout. What a trusting. The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk is living by faith. He's trusting in God. Some of you may recognize that reference to hind's feet. That's where the title to the great book, the allegorical book by um, Hannah Hunard, Hind's Feet in High Places, which I have read many times and enjoyed many times. It's a very good book. I highly recommend it. But Habakkuk is saying, even though things will get so bad, yet I will still be like a row or a hind that could bound upon the mountains in the midst of all of this trouble. And immediately you say, well, I just can't see how that's possible. <laughs> it's because we serve a God who is with, with Him, anything is possible. In the midst of destruction, in the midst of terrible tragedy, in the midst of difficulty, God can still bless. So relax, relax. Whatever is vexing you, whatever is affecting you or afflicting you, just relax and let the Lord do His wonder of wonders. You say, well, the Lord's not paying any attention to me. I'm just a little old so-and-so. I'm just a little boy, Tim. Or <laughs> you fill in your name, little girl, so-and-so, little boy, so-and-so. Listen to me. The Lord beholds you every moment of every day. And as His chosen child of God, whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, He cares about what you are dealing with. He cares. But we just often think, well, they don't, he just doesn't really care about me. But he does. He cared about Habakkuk. He cared about Joseph. He cared about Daniel. He cared about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He cared about the apostles. He cared about the woman who had the issue of blood. He cared about uh, the Roman centurion. He cared about the Roman centurion that actually crucified him. I, the list just goes on. Don't think for a second that the Lord just doesn't care about you or what you're dealing with. It is important, and he loves you. And you just need to look at yourself as a little boy, as his little boy or his little girl, and just crawl up in his lap and let him be who he is in your life and do what he does. And you will say, wonder of wonders. The wonder, wonder of God. I hope that's been profitable. I hope that it has been applicable for us today. And I pray that the Lord would bless anything that we've said here.